0: Yogesh, hey how you yo. doing, man? Are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are
1: you guys? Not too bad, man. Thanks for jumping on today. <clears throat> I see Suraj there too. I was, was just literally listening. Suraj, we can't hear you. Uh, I was listening to one of your last podcasts. It was very interesting. Oh, which one did you listen to? Nice. Which one? The bear The bear. Oh, the,
0: with uh, Pietro?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, about bootstrapping right yeah nice guess. yes yes um, yes
1: yes I mean, a
0: good one. Is, it, is it just is it just that one you've listened to or have you listened to others
1: uh no so uh, you know you you send me the uh, you mentioned that like you will send you could send me some links last time around when we, when we were chatting so at that time uh i went on your page and then i i listened to like you know 10 minutes or so of some another one and then this one I found quite interesting, uh the the bootstrapping, the startup idea. Right. So that's why I started listening. I spent like half an hour. Uh, what, what was it in or, sorry?
2: What was it in particular that interested you about the bootstrapping one? Like what, what
1: caught so, your attention? So I, I when I started my journey, uh, I mean, like, uh, so it was friends and family, right? Who got involved? Um, so it's kind of bootstrapping, right? I mean, uh, look, uh, uh, friends and family funds. However, uh, at that point, I was still uh, contemplating, like, how and what should I be doing? You know, should I be getting investors involved or not? Uh, fortunately, uh, we found a good backers for us. So I went on the route that raising money. And uh, when we raised quarter million at that time, uh, it was it was nice, you know, like uh, we get not only just the backing of investors, but at the same time you get to see uh, their network, the knowledge they bring in, the mentoring sessions that I can have. So all of that uh, certainly, you know, is helpful as well. So I was just trying to understand that like, you know, how they built uh, the successful business bootstrapping, because I do see the value of having those mentors or advisors or investors who can, you know, open up new doors for us.
2: Yeah, they sort of act as a gateway to the rest of the ecosystem, don't they? They kind yeah. of, you know, something comes up in your in your journey and they're like, hey, by the way, I might know somebody that you could talk to, which will help you a lot. And then that opens up exactly. multiple other doors as exactly. well. It's about getting exactly. the right investors though as well, isn't it? I mean, you can get you can get shit investors
0: as well. And there's, I think mean, there's this push and pull depending on... I mean, like anything in life, right, you can get like the the shortest straw, but um, I think there's a balance, there's like this push and pull between bootstrappers, it's like, I don't want to give any equity away, but then perhaps missing the potential
2: benefits of having a good VC by your side as well. I think that the age, the sort of the life cycle of the entrepreneur is quite important as well, because they're quite later into their journey. Let's say they've already had a successful exit. They might, you know, you might have a lot more contacts. You might have a much bigger network. So the value of somebody who can open doors for you or give you mentorship sort of reduces over time. Whereas when you first enter the world, you know, whatever age that is. Yeah, I think initially it can can be quite overwhelming. I remember I, I tried to start a business when I was 20. And I mean, I had huge misconceptions about how to even go about starting a business. I thought, hey, you know, here's a nice looking PDF. Now let's go raise one million pound. I'm I'm sure it'll be easy. I'm sure it won't be too hard. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think that's that. That's that's an interesting point. And do you think that the exchange of the value of your company is worth the mentorship in the long term?
1: Uh, I I definitely think so. So we are we are in food space. You know, like the food and technology space. So it's it's really important that we understand uh, how the different parts of the economy influences food, you know, and the value chain of the food. Uh, we, we're seeing this now, like you know, a war in Ukraine has a direct impact on inflation, which has a direct impact on food prices and all that, and which has a direct impact of people not going to restaurants, ordering less takeaways, and all that, right? Um, so so people. You know, so it's it's important that we understand, uh, you know, how how the different parts of the economy uh, can affect the value chain, and uh, when you, after uh, felt that, you know, like I've been blessed with the connections, uh, my own network, uh, you know, the, the investors that came in, they brought in their network as well. So I managed to pick up that that knowledge, or try to understand, you know, how can we best position ourselves. But, but it's enormously valuable for us. Uh, uh, in my experience, it, it, as far as I, I I can I can see, uh, I think uh, uh, it's it's it would be a missed opportunity not to consider, you know, getting that that advisory part or mentoring part, you know, at early stage, which is quite critical. You know, a lot of startups mm. fail, obviously, if you don't have the market for. But but another important aspect is that you just didn't, you weren't backed by the right people, you know, mm. on the investor or yeah. the team sort of or everything else. Yeah. And Yogesh, so was food something you're always
2: passionate about, or is this an industry that you're new in? Like, tell us a little bit of background about yourself and how you
1: got here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I grew up in India um, and uh, in a family run restaurant. So the, the love for food was always there. And uh, then I moved to UK um, um, when I was, I think 21, 22 years old. Which which part of India, by the way? Gujarat.
2: Gujarat Gujaratis love their
1: food. Gujarat is the best best, best vegetarian food in the world. (laughs) yeah, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so when I moved over here, uh, so I'm vegetarian. So I'm talking about 2001, 2002. So in UK uh, it was already you know uh, 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 life wasn't as difficult in a way for vegetarians but it wasn't as good as it is now you know I have to say, I have to say that but at one point I started seeing the change in in the restaurant so uh, I started seeing that uh, every restaurant had at least one vegetarian meal and now what we've seen in the last 10 15 years that it has progressively evolved that now every restaurant offers at least not just one vegetarian meal but one vegan meal also. But what was important for me is that uh, I, I always enjoyed the aspect of food and then the the, the passion for food. I, I enjoy cooking uh, and being vegetarian, um, although I'm on a mild end of the problem in terms of, uh, of finding food, uh, at least in UK, but as a consultant, uh, so that's my, has been my day job. Uh, I've been a management consultant, traveled around the world. I've been in some geographies where people, didn't, didn't fully understand what being vegetarian means. Uh, either I'm laughed at in the sense that how do you get your protein, how do you survive those kind of silly conversation to even conversation where they, they would say, but chicken is vegetarian, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for example... Don't waste your time, you
0: Sorry, go on, James. Yeah, sometimes you just shouldn't argue with people. I mean, like I know, I know,
1: exactly. <laughs> starting exactly. on the
0: starting on the back foot there, if they're trying to argue that chicken is vegetarian, <laughs> I wouldn't even bother. What was it? What was your like personal decision, by the way? Is that is it health reasons,
1: is it morality, or why why are you vegetarian? Why I'm vegetarian? Uh, I think both. Uh so one is that I I I grew up in a family that we always been vegetarian. And in Gujarat, in fact, uh about 80-85%. People, our population is vegetarian anyways. This is the state when Gandhi was born. So people are usually vegetarian, enormous food choices and all that. So you don't tend to think turning to non-vegetarian, you know. Um, So that was one reason. But then the morality kicked in that there is no need to kill a life to feed yourself. Now, of course, I I completely respect, you know, everybody who is eating meat as well, because then the third uh, reality kicked in is the food freedom. Everybody should have a freedom to eat what they would like to eat. Just like I want to eat vegetarian. My vegan friends want to eat vegan. is perfectly fine. And my uh, meat eaters friends who want to eat meat, perfectly fine. So it's all about food freedom. And then another layer is the morality. And then the third one was the the, the way I was brought up. Yeah. Mm. Is, that, is that something you
0: saw then? Is, is that... Was that the genesis? I understand your your current product is uh, Gaston, right? So this is your this is your food application. I actually downloaded it. I was so intrigued by it personally because I had kind of a lot of digestive issues issues with my gut growing up, and I thought. There still isn't that solution where I can say, all right, I can check a box and say, like, this is good for my health. This isn't good for my health. I've been to doctors so many times and it's like, oh, we don't know what's causing it. Like, you'll be fine. Just, you know, avoid fiber or eat fiber. And you get all these, like, contrasting kind of opinions, right? So I was kind of searching for that solution, which is why I was drawn to your app in particular. Um, But is that kind of what you were solving at the start? Was it kind of trying to give more access to, you know, people like vegetarians, people who have different di- dietary requirements and trying to make them feel less excluded from, you know, restaurants and social functions and such.
1: I think you, you got the problem really, you know, right. Because you're, you're, you're experiencing that yourself. Um, uh, uh, I mean, let, let's talk about the scale of the problem. And then I come to the solution part, why we got there. Uh, so. Um, here in the UK, we talk about like you know nearly 20 million population. That's one third of our UK's population. Uh, they have some form of special diets. It could be vegan, vegetarian, have food allergies or intolerances. Uh, it could be religion-based diets too. Like you know people want to eat halal or kosher. Uh, some are athletes. You know they want to have a, a very certain specific diets. People are also flexitarian, you know, every Friday I don't want to eat meat or whatever those those needs are. So when we look at the the, the population or proportion of population who are categorized uh, as, as uh, used users on, on special diet needs, uh, there isn't any meaningful solution for that. A lot of a large proportion of that, especially the one living with the allergies and intolerances, moderate or severe levels they don't even trust any of the mainstream food ordering apps. So that proportion, we're looking at somewhere around eight to 10 million people, okay? So now if you consider eight to 10 million people want to dine out, but they're not able to discover the food that could match their dietary and nutritional needs. Now there's another side of it that what happened over the COVID, and then very recently, a survey was carried out with about 80,000 uh, 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 people so what has evolved, what changed? So what we lo- what we now know is that uh, about 63 to 65% of UK's population, they want to eat healthy all the times. Uh, and, and and even larger proportion, more than 82 to 90% population wants to eat at least one healthy meal a day. Now, now, look, so what has happened? Like, you know, with the COVID, everybody started putting weight, so they want to now go back to the healthier eating or healthier lifestyle. Now it's okay or easier to find healthy meals in groceries, the grocery stores like Cascos and all. Everything is labeled nicely; you can find them easily. However, when you start looking at eating out settings, only four percent people say that they can find meals easily in eating out settings. So I can see that the the scale of the problem is so enormous. And then you just said that, right? Yourself that there is no, you didn't find any solution that could could you can just tick those boxes, and it then shows you the 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 meal options that matches those, those needs, dietary and nutritional needs. So what we wanted to do with Gaston is that focus on those personalizations. So a user, whenever they have any special diet needs, whether it's a diet-driven, uh, a religion-based driven, or even nutritional-based even medical conditions and all that, we present that we wanted to present the results that matches those, those requirements. The really, really big critical missing component in in this solution uh, um, a mapping is that the validation of data. So I mean on delivery today, you can just filter the the meals. they are vegan, right? but they there is the degree of validation they that that goes in there. It's left largely to the uh, the businesses. Uh, they can enter the the information of the meal. they need to validate that or verify that those informations are accurate. Because at the end they are preparing the meal, you know, um, and and if you then go to businesses, they 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 themselves don't know if the meal contains all the all the ingredients they using are 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 non-vegan, for example, or not. So that is that mismatch creates a discomfort. So what we wanted to do with guests on is a simplify users searching, you know, whenever they're looking for food, but at the same time helping the businesses with the data validation. So we educate. And we even help. Out, we know our AI tool helps populating the uh, the, the the information on our menu and ingredients, and categorizing those ingredients in the right with the right labels, either it's a diet specific or or intolerant allergen specific. So we we're taking that headache away from them as well. So so yeah, I mean you know like uh, uh, that that personal pain or personal diet reference to a, a lot of people that I've known uh, within the within my, my, my friends and family circles, or even uh, then I, when I looked at the, the, the larger proportion of society, uh, when they are struggling to find meaningful meal options, I realized that there has to be a solution. And now we live in a data-driven world. Why don't we make one?
0: So, so, Yogesh, just, just an example then, like uh, I was on delivery the other day and you know i always i i care about my fitness I care about my health um so i always go straight to the healthy section right and i click and i scroll down and yeah maybe kind of buy either a couple of healthy options and they kind of guess by the you know there's there's a minimum amount of processed food um you know most of the ingredients are whole and you're looking at kind of like yeah. um you know wheat wheat based you know carbs if you're if you're having carbs with your meal but a lot of it in there is also things like sushi, which we know is highly processed, and uh, you know all these different kind of things. Where you can kind of uh, slap a healthy tag on them, and a lot of people will be none the wiser, right? Because a lot of people don't have food education. It's something I've learned from myself as well. Just you know, being an athlete, being in and around athletes, and talking about diet, is normally the one thing that is completely neglected. It's like it's, it was about training and like how to recover and how to stretch, but there's not a lot on dieting. So my question is, like, how would you? What's the process then in terms of you said data validation? Um, how would, you know, someone like a sushi house or something get verified as healthy and why would they not get, um, like what kind of markers are you looking for? Um, and how do you help the business at the end of the day to kind of classify themselves?
1: Yeah. So that, that's really the, the, the space that we have sort of made a leaf from, uh, uh you know, approach. So uh, if you look at that delivery, room, same example, you know, like for them to populate the information, accurately validate it and all that, it will take good, you know, 24 to 48 hours for businesses for themselves to do that, right? Uh, what we can do is our AI tool, we can shorten that time window from 48 hours to less than an hour, including the data validation. Piece. So that's one thing. So, you know, a faster data validation, population and validation um uh, second part is that but how do we do that so we have a three-dimensional approach so uh, when a business uh, uploads their uh information our AI tool dissects the menus and uh, uh we have automated the process with the, the help of large bank of uh, list of ingredients and menus uh what it does it, it straight away creates uh, a filtered list of uh, ingredients for that that are tagged to that particular dish that uh, are populated, and then uh, our then the, the the real magic comes. So then the automated uh, categories uh, and classification happens. That's the level one. So that's the majority of the work is done. Uh, so here we're looking at around up to seventy percent effort is is completed. Then the second step comes in where the businesses do the verification themselves. That look our AI tool has populated the information. Now, please go ahead and verify this. Now, once data completed their verification, then our team of nutritionists, they will also look at the data. So that looking at this 3D approach, it uh, it makes sure that the information that we are presenting to a user, when they say we are lacto- lactose intolerant, or gluten intolerant, in their view, they will never see any dishes that contains those ingredients. So, so, so the real, real key difference with, with Gaston is that We don't show you the entire menu. So for example, James, when you download Gaston, uh, when you look at uh, a a menu of a restaurant and when you download the same restaurants you too, if you have a a different diet needs, you will see different menus on on your devices because Gaston takes out the things that you cannot eat. And And by doing so, it makes your life easier. Imagine like for example, I'm vegetarian So I don't need to go through the whatever 40, 60 dishes they have, which ones are vegetarian. It only gonna show me the dishes that I can eat. Now add the allergies in there, add the religion preferences in there. So we we do all this, you know, heavy lifting for user, but we are only able to do that accurately because we have a confidence that the way we populate the data on our platform. And And what we want to do, sorry, what Am I right in
2: saying that that confidence comes from, as you mentioned, a large bank of training data of menus assigned with the ingredients? That's correct, yeah. But then, for example, say something like uh, halal meat, for example, like that. That's not something that's easy to infer from a list of ingredients because ultimately it's the manner in which the the animal was killed, right? So how would your AI tool pick up on something more specific and localized like that? Because that to me seems like... You have to take the word of a manufacturer or somebody who's like a verified manufacturer says, yes, this is the way it was done. So is, is there a technical way of approaching that problem?
1: Yes. So that will be our in our product roadmap. We want to uh, bring in a concept of blockchain. It's already being implemented within the, the food supply chain. So what happens is uh, today, yes, we have to rely on the, you know, that's the second step verification. So once we've done the population, uh, the restaurants when or the the, the menu population, uh, you know, they will validate that, right? So, and then our team of nutritionists, they will have a chat very quickly uh, that, okay, this critical component, for example, kosher right? So that needs to uh, be, be ha- ha- have a certified, you know, by local revise. And if that's not been done or if you don't receive that confidence, then we don't list that. That restaurant's for a particular dish or labeling that uh, in, in, in that specific way. So, um, uh, but this is still taking a lot of time. We can even, you know, simplify this or bring more confidence to it. And this is where the 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 blockchain will play a major role. Um, so that's our product, uh, at, uh, you know, within our product roadmap. We yeah, but your guest, sorry, you know, sorry, I understand it's
0: in your roadmap and you probably don't want to give too much away, but can you like describe on a fairly granular level how blockchain will actually help the supply chain? Cause we've spoken to a number of people now that have said similar things. Um, I've seen startups pop up and, you know, there's all this hype around blockchain that we've spoken before. Um, but supply chains very much seems like a use case where a blockchain can be highly beneficial. So maybe can you just break
1: down for us and the listeners how exactly that would work? Yeah, so uh, let me start with a very simple example. What happened with Pratt, you know, this sandwich maker, uh, a couple of people died because of eating contaminated sandwiches. Uh, now, when the, the matter went uh, to court, uh, Pratt said, we are just a sandwich seller. We don't manufacture here, it's manufactured in the manufacturing site. The manufacturer says that we... Make more sandwiches than just this one in our site. And those ingredients actually were bought from somewhere. They can't trace it where, right? Uh, Hence, we can't take the responsibility because we are the assembler of the ingredient, right? Think from the the, the manufacturing process perspective. Now, uh, so in the whole value chain, the, the parties who suffer by losing a family member are not able to find a person or the real entity, whether it's a corporation or an individual, who is really responsible for this debacle happening. Now, if we have a blockchain implemented in a value chain, what will happen, you will be very easily being able to trace where that ingredient came from, yeah? And then not only that, you can even trace what batch was it, at what time it was harvested, and how it was packed and who buy. So you can go really detail in terms of where it it, it has originated. Now, uh, and this is what what will help us going forward as well. That if you want to make make the process faster, data validation process faster, that if you're able to just pick up the the local tags, you know, or, or where the product was originated or how it's processed, how it's packed, and all that information already. We don't need to go back to restaurants and validate that information because that information is already there for us. So this is how it will help us in terms of increasing or improving the the quality of data accuracy of the data
2: that we are... Yogesh, one thing that comes to mind, does this all, like even though it'll be in blockchain on smart contracts, so tracing the time, tracing the, the, the vendor who packed it, does this all not still depend on human trust? Because ultimately, somebody has to insert information into the smart contract, and the information has to be accurate, right?
1: Uh, yes, you're right. I mean, at the end, look, uh,
2: so if a vendor says this ing- this ingredient isn't
1: sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was I was just saying that you you're right because at the end, uh, there is a human. In you know, putting uh, inserting data somewhere, right? Whether it's in smart contract uh, or even in normal you know spreadsheet form. However, what is different is uh, uh, the liability will always be able to be traced, right? So who entered the data? So yeah. you can always go back to that uh, that that that. Okay, why did you enter this, which wasn't correct? It's, it sounds right. like accountability, so, right? It sounds accountability, like accountability. Exactly. It's like it's
0: like when you don't have blockchain. It's like you can. Probably find ways to skirt around being accountable for the people that died from a bread sandwich, for example. Uh, you can always try and spread the blame, but now it's like localized at the point. It's like we know what happened, and if you lied on your small contract and we can prove that, then obviously you're going to jail for X number of years. And it's it just yeah. adds that whole level of accountability onto the
1: whole process. And and look, we're not there yet. Let's let's be real, right? We're not there yet, but we're moving in that direction and look what's happening with our regulatory changes so in uk uh, we introduced natasha's law last year right um, what is I that sir? Cool. natasha's law that's the allergen specific uh, you know so all businesses they need to specify the allergens on their menus uh, very clearly then there is also a uh, legislation was introduced last year it was about uh, information on nutrition related information OK, so now for packed food, life is so much easier. Everybody follows the rules nicely. But when it comes to cooked food or prepared food uh, on premises, then things are not black and white because uh, a chef cooking, they just grab something, you know, from their pantry or whatever that and they cook, cook, make food for for, for, for an individual. But this is where the problems were, where we the, you know, the, a lot of people found the problems varying uh, within the food processing. So the laws were introduced, but there is a lot, lack of understanding. So uh, a person prepares the food, is, is that the person responsible or is the ingredient they're using that were labelled incorrectly is the problem? Or the the manufacturing side who packed the ingredients and then dispatched it is the issue. So you say, so in, instead of Worrying about where the real problem lies and moving to using the right technology or the more advanced technology will help getting to the source of the problem, you know, and it will speed up the, the process and understanding, you know, for, for people who are involved in making food, buying food, selling food. Um, so it will, yeah, certainly help, but we're not there yet. We are not, We are moving towards that. And what do you think the timeline will be like to get in there? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, very good question. Uh, but that, look, uh, generative AI is is on a rise. Like you know, look if you look at next next uh, five to even ten years, that that's all, it's all going to be on generative AI. Now, mm-hmm. if that generative AI uh, uh, makes those advances, you know how everybody's expecting, then the implementation of blockchain will become much faster. You know,
2: so what is that? So what's, what's the relationship there between generative AI and blockchain?
1: So it's the information. It's the, it's the how how well the information can be transferred, stored, processed, and then utilized, right? And uh, and then described as well, right? So as a, as a user. So for example, I'm populating the menu, right? Now I've created a set of ingredients and a menu list about thirty five million stuff of, of of those data counts. Now, for me to be able to get a hold on on wider, much, much wider set of recipes and the, 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 the ingredient data, I won't be able to do this you know as it is. So generally, what Genetive is going to do for me is that I will be able to find the, those data sources and populate the information much faster, or much broadly, right? Then, then I'm able to do that. Now even within the same space, our current accuracy between looking at the name of the dish to coming up with a set of ingredients mm. is around 70%, 70 percent 70 75 percent so we are not right. that you know advanced but what generative AI could do for us is that we can go close to 100 yeah.
2: percent. yeah so so are you using generative ai at the moment to do that task or are you using no no no, no. We, we would devices? like okay.
1: to, we would be doing that
2: yeah okay you're, you're, you're probably doing more of uh like a closed form, right? You just kind of have an input of some words, and then from that input, based on the training data, these are these are the ingredients that we think should be in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, yeah, I can
2: see. I can see why if you have like a browser-enabled generative AI, that's going to become like a piece of cake, right? You can, exactly. Exactly. You can so, so this is where, like a, an an accuracy on what ingredients could even be in it in the future. You might say these are these are typically the ingredients in it, but some dishes make with X, Y, and Z. So there might be a probability that if you're allergic to peanuts that some people are allergic to nuts. Some people might use cashews in this curry, but you know, ninety percent of the time, it's
1: not the case. So absolutely. Really I mean, yeah. I mean, look, look. will give you a very simple example. Since you mentioned curries, right? So. When we say when we talk about some some curries, Punjabi curries, right? People will automatically thought that it will have to have cashew nuts in there, mm-hmm. okay. But there are a large proportion of Punjabi curries that are prepared or made the same dish uh, without case, cashew nut paste. Now, how do you know that, right? But as a, as a, and, and then what you do is that let's let's imagine I come across the recipes and the the set of ingredients that we populated so far are all from the restaurants that are using cashew paste. But we left out all the other restaurants just because they're not in our catchment yet, right? But what what generative, generative way I can do is that just because I type the name, I don't know, let's say a uh, chicken masala, it will give me you know, you would populate the ingredients from both sides. And then i have a list of maybe a, a broader list, but then I can then over the time refine and reach it and then make it more valuable, you know, for businesses. So what I'm trying to say is that uh, uh, our accuracy of the populating the information will go up. Maybe it will overshoot more that than what we need to, but then we can then, you know, uh, 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 improve it, enhance it, and then get to, you know, close to 100%. Yeah so it'll happen over the time um how fast uh, we we just don't know but I think uh, that's the future for us we're going to use that uh, as well because uh, that certainly will help That's awesome that's really exciting stuff
2: what a time I, so I suppose then if was this was generative ai on the horizon before you saw this chat gpt thing hit the commercial world or is it something that you recently saw this come out and thought, hey, you know what, maybe we can implement this in what we're doing as well?
1: Or did you already have yeah. this roadmap? So uh, we, we did have a roadmap, but uh, the knowledge of what we could do uh, with ChatGPT, it's enormous, right? I mean, okay. uh, yeah. what, what we started with is, um, let's write a small you know, algorithm that disconnect the pieces of information uh, from our own database. And then you open up the database of own database to a web database, and then now what you're trying to do is that you are just look in at multiple you know data sources as well with the generative uh, AI. So we we obviously uh, didn't think that that this would happen or it will happen much quickly. However, you know, like look, uh, there are some other uh, initiatives that were launched before ChatGPT. And they're in that space, you know, like uh, who are helping you to write, you know, uh, copywriting, for example, or a blog posts and all that. That that existed or started, uh, you know, uh, coming mainstream. And then uh, obviously what ChatGPT did, it, it just, you know, uh, um, uh, crashed everybody. the reason behind that, they're not only just helping you to write good blogs or a, a material for your website, but they do much more than that, right? I
0: think it was like a step, step function change in most people's idea of what AI could do, right? I think to, to yeah. many to many people, just consumers, average, you know, people maybe work in the tech space, maybe you don't. AI can be a little bit of a black box and you tend to associate it with things like industrial applications, you know, um, speeding up business processes and stuff like that. Similar to what you were talking about there. But I think JATGBT, gbt which is such a step function in terms of actually the level of AI we are now, I think it just sparked everyone's imagination as it seemed to do for you for you as well in terms of what you could achieve with your existing roadmap um, and kind of, you know, Puts, puts like rocket
1: boosters on it, right? In terms of how- Oh yeah, 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 exactly, your, exactly. Your time as you want. Yeah, and our we're uh, uh like, so uh, we at the moment fundraising. Uh, so one of the things that we want to do, uh, you know, in, in about eight to 12 months time is work on uh, our demand forecasting model. And this is where Generative AI play a big, big role for us. So initially we thought about our product design was utilizing six different vectors of data points, and then coming up with that, you know, uh, close to accurately predicting uh, for businesses how many more or less guests they can expect, you know, on a given day, for example. And uh, we we see this particular model being very uh, very useful, not just for a restaurant, but so many other you know applications as well. Hence, uh, uh, the 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 need for us to to look into that. Now, the six different uh, vectors of data points that we were initially thinking now the generative AI can make that that available to us you know much more you know comprehensively uh, now again we need to almost remodel the way we we we've we done it like you know eight, six eight months ago when we were thinking about uh working on this AI model uh because those those they, you know our, our our assumptions were were different than what it is now or would be now uh with the awareness of of, of, of the likes of chat GPT, and other you know generative AI uh, tools. So, so yeah, so is I mean, it, uh, look, Yo- uh, Yokesh, is, it, is it the ChatGPT gives you the data,
2: or is ChatGPT makes you more aware of other factors which could drive
1: demand in the future? So I mean, ChatGPT is, is just one example. There are so many different uh, generative AI like, tools that you can utilize. Okay. Uh, I mean, if you talk about data scraping, right now uh, data scraping, uh, you can you can now cast much wider net. So more importantly the results that returns to you uh with the ability uh um to well so can, identifying sourcing then structuring the data and then cleansing the data if you think in the process now uh, uh the, the 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 companies have made success or, or became successful you know in the past is that how well they have defined their algorithms you know in in doing so now when you talk about sourcing data, there's uh, enormous effort required. If you talk about, you know, like, menu scraping, uh tools, right? So there's a, a lot of effort required to, you know, scrape through every single uh, restaurant's their menus and their, their ingredients coming out. You know, some of the businesses don't even write ingredients, you know, on their menus. So how do you know what ingredients would be in those, those particular dishes? Uh, because those data are not sitting on that menu. It's somewhere else, on recipes, right? So then, you need to start another uh, scraping exercise, which is on uh, on on a different uh, platforms, right, or or, or or type of data. What we can do with the generative AI, different tools, uh, you can combine this, you know. So in, in one go, you can you can you tend to get. Um, but again, I'm not saying that we are already there, but you can get there, right? Um, so your quality of sourcing data is now enhanced. Hence, the structure and then cleansing part will be enhanced too, going forward. How so, it? Does that it will help
0: us? Yeah. Does that mean that your if you do kind of use generative AI in the future? Does that mean your competitive advantage is you know eaten into somewhat in terms of what you've spoken about? What I gather from what you, you guys are doing at the moment is your USP is actually the way you structure, you gather structure and um, draw conclusions from the data. Does generative AI, in your opinion, not level the playing field somewhat in that aspect? So, if you know the likes of Deliveroo, Justy come in
1: and they do the same thing on uh, as a layer on top of their products, can they not replicate yours? Oh, certainly they can. Uh, I mean, this is where every startup needs to then uh, evolve, uh, create new value uh, uh, propositions for themselves. So what we're looking at is that. Uh, so currently we have launched dietary personalization. Now uh, people think that dietary personalizations are relevant. So as I said, uh, I was telling you that we have thought about uh, about five or six different um, uh, personalization points. So for example, when uh, delivery moves into dietary personalizations we probably will evolve into something else as well, because what we want to do is that we are we are not a, we are not deliver. You know, uh, we do not claim to be deliver either. What we are—we are just a sophisticated personal engine. We're—we are helping you to find the food that matches your needs. Now, that's that that we can we can move from food vertical to something else as well. So, in fact, our API first approach for B two B side of it. So, rather than uh, having our own app and letting people to find the food using Gaston, we can we, we we this from this year onwards we started created started creating a B two B offering. So where businesses can uh, uh, um, let their users use our APIs to find personalized um, uh, food options, you know. So we we recently signed some really interesting deals. Uh, we're gonna um, uh, it's gonna be announced uh, next month. Uh, it's it's a dating app, uh, but, uh, one of the largest one, four million users. Uh, so what what they're trying to do is uh, they want to create a value uh, added offering, you know. For their users, so when people are dating, they just come to to their app and they find a partner and then they go away. What we're trying to do is that by offering those APIs, we can then keep those users more on their app, and they can, you know, their user activation rates uh, increase as well. And for us, you know, uh, our our objective is is uh, is to bring this solution out to the wider uh, uh, a portion of population faster because it has a a, a, a real uh, component uh, where we are helping the society, you know, with with their, Mm -hmm. you know, the suffering that they're having in terms of the the food freedom.
0: Yeah, just listening to
1: that as well, is like, um,
0: I was just thinking, just quickly, sorry, Siraj, it's like, as as another layer on top of that, which could be useful, is just the healthcare aspect of it as well. So instead of, you know, manually inputting all of your dietary requirements, um, you help do some self-discovery. So it's like, I have these whatever biomarkers um what will i what should i eat what should i do i think a lot of people maybe yeah maybe they have like quite stranger restrictions on okay i can only eat vegetarian only in that but i'm just thinking in my case personally um i don't know sometimes what to eat or how i'm going to react to certain foods um i know that i know there are other people like that as well so I, I'm I'm intrigued with this product, also by the healthcare potential down the line, and potentially yeah. integrating with other services that, as I said, allow you to like read biomarkers and kind of check your gut health and take your blood levels and all of these kind of uh, stuff, and help you choose foods that optimize that. I know there are a couple of companies yeah. that do that do more of those things. Um, and they, they can either be like hard, hard tech or software. You're thinking like um, wearables companies do that. And there's also hard tech companies like, I don't know, like routine and stuff like that. They will send you supplements and minerals that cater to your nutrition needs. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make that comment and whether whether um you had thought about that
1: at all. That was in the back of your yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, about partnering up and Yeah. Absolutely. That's our level two. So, you know, our level one is dietary, level two is nutritional. So with nutritional, rather than, uh, you know, going with this very simplified approach, we want to become goal-oriented. So you can then design a coaching programs for you. So instead of saying that, oh, I want to reduce weight, you would rather say, I want to see it better. I want to improve my, you know, immune system. So those are kind of, more like, a, you know, your lifestyle-related uh, health goals that you would like to achieve. And then, rather than sending the nutrition, you know, like a set of, uh, I don't know, like a, a processed, uh, you know, packed uh, nutritional uh, products, uh, we then can send you more uh, natural, uh, you know, products, which is then the the less processed. So again, this is goes with the how 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 how, how much processed would you like to eat? Right, so that, that's a sign really me up thing. now, man. Sign me up now. I've been I've been searching for this product my whole life. Is
0: like everyone knows it's not. It's a, it's a boring. Anyone who does kind of fitness and cares about what they eat is like this is a boring, boring process, and there's loads of tweaking and this and that. Like like anything, like designing a training regimen or you know figuring out your sleep cycle. Anyone who cares about optimizing their health, this is something that AI. I feel like AI is there's a huge kind of blue ocean there that just hasn't been touched yet and really properly yeah. addressed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we really would like to address that, um, and uh, and because we, we we see this as well that uh, if you see all this, you know, uh, uh, healthy meat, milk, kits, everybody are are trying to solve uh, some problems, and they are all good solutions. So, uh, but what we're trying to do is that we combine and then go a little bit a step ahead, think from the user's perspective, um, and and want to increase of fiber, you know, for example but that increasing fiber has an impact on your digestive system, but more importantly, your muscles, you know, uh, um, uh, um, proportion in your body. So, so that's your goal, right? You don't want to eat fiber, you, you want to build muscles, for example. Uh, so rather than going with the, uh, what I can eat, let me just define my, 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 my goals and objectives that I would like with my body. It could be that, you know, mental stress, so there are, we know that like, you know, using products that has high level of antioxidants can help you relieve mental stress. So if you have stress issues, then rather than popping a pill, let us then send you to a food options that are less processed, if that's what your desire is, uh, that you can consume, you know. So you can still enjoy your social life with your family, friends, but still achieve your health and lifestyle goals, you know. Yeah. that's something yeah. that's our level two uh yeah. any any
0: amazing. any experts you listen to i listen to a lot like podcast particularly along the lines of like huberman podcast that goes really deep into like nutrition and biology and stuff like that um and uh, you know it, it starts so basic it always starts with like what's your goals um, it's, it's, I think a lot of people kind of look for like so much complexity and they want like some crazy answer, but it's as simple as defining your goals. And then from this framework of like, all right, how much time do you have in your life? You know, like what, what are your dietary requirements? You know, what, what's your end goal? Do you want to look better? Do you want to feel better? Um, because ultimately that's what people with nutrition requirements care about, right? They'll have a goal in mind. It's like, why do you want to eat healthier? Because I want to lose weight because I want to look better and this and that. Um, and finding kind of like this AI in your pocket, they can just help you do that. Um, that that has that has huge potential and it's uh,
1: yeah yeah very interesting uh, and, and to talk about this, this. This feature that we wanted to develop is actually the use case. Initially, we started with something else. It was the aging population, you know. So if you look at a lot of uh, old age people in 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 care homes uh, and their meals, you know how they serve and all that. Now, rather than serving a generic meal to them. How about we understand individuals' lifestyle and their requirement and their, uh, 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 their even to a degree that, again, is a future, that their that genetic uh, uh, combinations, that, that helps them, you know, what kind of food they should be eating to live healthy, happier, longer lives, right? So that was the use case that we started with. But then we realized that, you know, let's look at the younger generation too. That is highly relevant because when we when we learned that 64% of UK's population wants to eat healthy all the times, and in, in US that number is somewhere around 53, 54%. It's a huge number of population, so why not Include the wider, uh, you know, uh, set of population, uh, and obviously, you know, have a product feature that not just like today uh, um, are relevant, but also in future will remain relevant. So again, you ask, like, you know, how can we counter the competition? This is how we will counter the competition. Yeah. Know, like, so we will always evolve into using our core uh, capabilities, which is, uh, you know, remaining a, a very solid personalized engine that we can then continue evolving into a different space that with the, with a the different set of use cases.
2: That's really fascinating. Really interesting. Uh, Yogesh, I have a question, though. Just to step away from the science part and the, in the commercial side of things, who are your main customers at the moment? Because I think one thing I'm, I've been trying to wrap my head around over the duration of the conversation is it doesn't sound like you're going directly B2C where people go on and can source things themselves, but rather are you selling to enterprises which can then use it as a white label solution? Or, yes? what's your go-to market strategy and who are your customers?
1: Yeah, so our current ones, so what we have got in in the market currently is B2C app, which is, you know, guest on it that you can download. And there we're speaking directly with the restaurants, chains, meal kit companies. We also have a dark kitchener signed up with us you know so uh you as a user can can straight away search for so that b2c application is very very more like a, a resource intense uh um uh, so is for that us.
2: is that like a directory then so the people have this directory of, of food places that are near them how do you onboard those food places onto the app, app yourself
1: so so is the same as how other food apps are doing as well oh sorry um, my my desk yeah, so how how other food apps are doing? Uh, we 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 bring, we bring businesses on board. Now we we don't charge them as much either. I mean, if you look at uh, the, the 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 likes of Deliveroo what they charge, we charge in 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 terms you know if in comparison to them, a very small amount of fees because we think that uh, restaurants working really hard, they're suffering at the moment, and they should be keeping a majority of their profit to themselves. For us, we can still grow with the the operation margins around 60% which is pretty healthy for us you know for the B2C part right. of the uh the business so we we bring them on board we talk to them we, we get them we sign them up and then we 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 bring them live so you as a user you can you will be able to discover them and order food using our app as well
2: okay now, a... and then is the restaurant responsible for delivering the food or do you have a
1: delivery service in the app Both. itself so so we, okay. we don't do deliveries. We, we ourselves don't do deliveries, but our delivery partners do the delivery for us. And uh, yep. what we offer to businesses, again, a freedom. It's all about food freedom, right? So, uh, uh, what we offer to restaurants that is they want, uh, a delivery staff that they want to retain on an hourly basis. So we have a delivery partner who would provide that. If they want a delivery partner who serves on third delivery basis. Oh, okay. Then we also deliver partners. So, so for,
2: for some restaurants, there's an additional value that, hey, if you're not delivering at the moment, we can help you deliver
1: coming onto our exactly. application. Exactly. And save lots of money uh, with that as yeah. well. So what businesses started doing that whoever signed up with us, they actually reprinted their menus with our logo on them. So almost encouraging their users uh, okay. order used to the best on instead of yeah. you know, other apps, for example. Yeah. And the second part, which we started working on it this year, beginning this year is B2B side. So what we want is that start giving out the personalization API. So we started having discussions with uh, one of the largest table reservation service provider. They operate in Mm -hmm. 13 countries, 60,000 restaurants, can't name them uh, just yet at the moment, <laughs> that a dating app that is launched uh, is being announced next month as well. Uh, Four million users. There's another dating app, which is specific to vegans. Um, we also want to work with them. We're currently having a discussions going on in India because we launched in India uh, beginning this That's, year. Uh, so those guys are having three and a half million users. Uh, cool. Also a, an app that provides...
2: Because one thing that came to mind when you mentioned that previously was because uh, I've been looking at a few different, because I'm currently based in India at the moment. So I was looking at a few different businesses that are replacing uh, point of service systems. So they're kind of taking the entire menu of the, the POS system and putting it onto a digitalized system where yeah. everything be done a lot
1: quicker. So I think that like partnerships like that would probably sound ideal. Exactly. For POS, right? exactly. Yeah. So, so that's one of those partnerships I'm having a discussion on Friday. Yeah, awesome. Um, this week and then also next week. So, so there is a, a, a table side service provider, right? Uh, then the second one is the the healthy meal kit uh, seller, uh, uh, meal boxes seller in India. So um, there is, these are the opportunities that we want to work with. Again, uh, look, we got the technology and infrastructure. Uh, we can we can manage the, the inflows and uh, structuring and then output of those that, that, that data in an accurate way. And they can go about, you know, serving their, you know, B two C side, what they they are good at, uh, and this is where we're opening up to chains, restaurant, pubs, you know, even second tier, third tier uh, um, food aggregators. We would love to have delivery likes of those companies on 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 as our customer as well. But I think that bridge is too far for us at the moment. Uh, catering companies. Um, yeah, so all of that is who we'll be targeting uh, going forward now, considering opening up the B2B side of it as well. Uh, and That's then think awesome. that, like, you know, look, uh, solution uh, we designed with a specific use case in the mind. Uh, the the solution was very, very widely expected, accepted in, in the marketplace, both by users yeah. and customers. So we now know that there is a real lead. How, how can we get this benefits of the solution out to much wider audience rather than us trying to grow and it will take a lot longer. Let's just you know use the existing um, y- y- you know the corporations or partnerships you know that we can uh, we can uh, utilize. Um, yeah, yeah. So that that's what we are working on at the moment.
2: Yeah, because I think it's a lot. It's a lot easier to. You know, onboard one business, which is a gateway to maybe a million users, that is to directly accessing those users in the market with a huge marketing campaign. Yeah. I think it's one of yeah. the it's, it's something James and I have discussed before, because neither of us are particularly adept at B2C. I don't think he or I particularly understand B2C too well. So B B2B sales is something that seems a lot more to me personally, seems a lot more intuitive. Like, you know, pick up a phone, provide value to one person, find a decision maker and make the sale. And then even if what you're selling is meant to be for a customer, you know, that's a that's a portal to many customers because they 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 effectively
1: serve as the aggregator. Exactly. Exactly. And and another side of it as well that if you look at the cost, again, commercial side of it, right? So the user acquisition costs are much higher. Uh, uh, because when you multiply with the volume that you want to you know, bring, so per user, B2C, if you're looking at 15 to 20 pounds, I mean, right, you would be less- Customer acquisition cost. Number. Yeah, customer acquisition cost. Oh, wow. Um, that's expensive. It is expensive, that's right? That's and lot. then yeah. over the time yeah. it improves, right? So from whatever 15, 20 pounds, it it should drop to around a pound or less than a pound, right, over the, over the period. But it takes a really long time before you get there. Uh, so unless you have millions to burn you know uh yeah I mean good luck right even the, the license <laughs> get there we know the story of them as well you know how how, how they 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 or any uh, you know food delivery uh, business they they have uh, a strike and struggle to some extent and they found success as well uh but it takes time and mm-hmm. then the same concept if you look at the collaborating with the the different parts you know that uh, considers food or food is very much attached to them. So we have a a, a, a collaboration conversation going on with the, a, a gym uh, company, a chain. You know, uh, they have 300 units. Now think about that. Everybody goes there. They have one objective in their mind, right? So they want to, you know, get healthy.
2: Yeah, but sounds like a, a natural horizontal, horizontal
0: integration. Yeah.
1: Exactly. This is, this is a This is a
0: fantastic case study in being very creative to go to market actually um i don't think we've spoken to a lot of people that have really laid it out in such um such clear terms and Absolutely. uh been been so creative with it as well i mean like just attacking the places where you know people are going to have certain dietary requirements and um and uh you know nutritional needs and instead of just slapping ads on Facebook, you're thinking about it very, very tactically. Uh, it's very impressive actually. Uh, is this something that you? How, how did you kind of get this idea? Did you take? Did you draw from kind of other business models? Is this is is this the result of years of trial and error? And I want to maybe tie that to the question of, which is kind of the secondary part of that question. Which is, um, you did chemical engineering, right? This is what you studied at university, uh, because you know founders come in all shapes and sizes. uh uh, typically a lot of them are like finance econ and then you get like a number of technical founders and you know computer uh, devs and all of this stuff right computer science so is there anything about doing engineering because we all three of us did some some kind of engineering at university is there anything about your background there that you can say all right today here and now that helped me a lot more than say you know another degree or a finance
2: degree would have done
1: so it's very interesting. So uh, as an engineer a chemical engineer, and I, I completed my PhD in chemical engineering too. And one thing that I I personally uh, think that has helped me that engineering side of it is I'm highly analytical with the approach that I always take. Very objective also, you know, data-driven rather than just thinking emotionally, right? Let's just put this into numbers or translate this into numbers. And then let's look at three different alternatives uh, that can operate in the same world or same way and which is the best to go or pursue, right? So the analytical approach is always there no matter what I'm doing. Now, when I finished my studies, I went on into a world of management consulting. So that to be honest, had made a massive, massive difference in my uh, thought process. So I worked for large blue chip customers all over the globe working on different projects, like it could be as small as like, you know, making some little improvements to like, soft uh, giant oil giants, where we're looking at the two and a half, three billion half, 3 billion worth investment, uh, you know, capital projects. So uh, that again, uh, has helped me create a very solid foundation how businesses can be built, launch, whether it's product in which countries like expanding into different countries and all that. So all of that was, was highly useful. And so, the way I approach to various challenges, whether it's idea creation and all that. Now, coming back to your first question, that how did I come up with all this? You know, this this uh, a parallel uh, collaboration, so called uh, opportunities or initiatives behind that. But there again, I will just go back to my knowledge as management consultant. Rather than just looking thinking laterally, you need to start branching that out. That okay, this idea, the 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 the. the It's not about uh, you want to follow this route to get from A to B. The objective is getting to B, and that's let's look at the other alternative. As I said, that two or three different alternative options that can help us get there. So the business growth that we want to achieve, uh, B2C can be one approach. We also learned that B2C is hard, you know, Uh, although the solution we're getting on a Monthly download around 12 1500 at the moment. Uh, you know uh, however, is it enough? No it's certainly not enough. We would like to get into thousands you know like you know fives and tens of thousands. However, it will take us a lot longer. So let's start building those parallel you know growth opportunities that can help us get there. So uh, one of those deals with the dating app for example gives us access to 4 million users. Now, there you go. Now out of 4 million, even if we consider converting 10% or 1%, you know, we have we have a huge number of new users added on a month on month basis. So this is how I always look at the problems, the parallel growth opportunities, and then using the network as a management consultant, as you would be uh, you would appreciate that we are blessed with those connections, and then we start looking at and exploring those connections, which can help us make those intros, use our investors network or mentors network that can help us get there.
0: Man, I think there's there's so many lessons in there. I I wanna pick out the the key ones that I took away from that. The first being the kind of, you wanna solve problems backwards. So you don't wanna think about, all right, here's where I am and here's how I'm gonna get to be. It's like, you you have to vision, vision point B, and then just think about all the different pathways you can take from where you are now and, and use a data-driven di- approach, as you said. I find that a really interesting way to like, flip the por- a problem because I think, yeah, I think a lot of people will look out on that and see, I certainly look at that and say, oh, this is a B2C product. Um, And then once you explain the go-to-market and you have a very in- in- interesting way about going about it, then you start to see the problem in a whole different light. Um, I think the second one is something that Suraj said earlier, which is if you have what is fundamentally a B2C model, think about how you can access huge groups of users that are kind of already invested in another B2C business and tap into that uh, user base. I think that's very, very actionable advice for someone who's building more of a kind of a model that you guys are a B2C. I think the third and final one is just uh, the experience that you've shown in building your business in terms of, you know, there's so many people out there that in the early 20s, building a business, uh, crazy growth, and it will take off. Um, But, you know, maybe you get to that point where you need a steady hand or you need that extra bit of experience of years or decades working um, in a certain industry. And you've really eloquently put that with your kind of combination of your background in engineering and the way you approach problems, but also just a wealth of experience having worked with, as you said, all the blue chip companies across the globe. So that's
1: yeah. fant- fantastic insight, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And as, as a mentor to a couple of business school, you know, business, uh, entrepreneurship uh, projects, I always say, uh, don't fall in love with the solution, fall in love with the problem, because you will always find a way to solve yeah. the problem. Yeah. yeah. So the, that's the intuition that you need to use. Then, then, then the opportunities of solving that problem is enormous, rather than just sticking to what we're doing. Let's look at how else we can solve that.
0: Yeah, it's very easy to look at existing solutions out there and maybe kind of like put them onto a new a new problem. And say, oh, this would be the solution because it worked in X industry. You always see you see things like Uber for X, right, or like Airbnb for X, yeah. and just taking a business model and, and planting on a new vertical. When actually, you should probably think from first. That's another thing about engineering as well: thinking from first principles, right? I, I, that's probably what I take away most from engineering. So like you kind of you kind of ask why a lot you kind of ask like, why should it be like this? And like, yeah, yeah, just because Uber's like that doesn't mean that this thing, this vertical needs to be like that as well. And you kind of, you think from the ground up, um, which you're clearly doing as well. So that's, that's fantastic, man. Um, but yeah, we're going to wrap up now. Yogesh, it's been a pleasure. Love the conversation. Really insightful. Thanks for coming on.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I love enjoy- uh, the conversation as well. Nice meeting you both. All right. Thanks. It's our pleasure, guys, man. Yogesh. Bye for now. Yeah. Bye. Yeah.
2: Take care. Take care.